Hello and get ready. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve Castle of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine, perfectly orchestrated destiny for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. I'd like to talk to you about your heart tonight. This is a, I'm calling this a steady heart. If you have your Bible, please get it out. If you have a Bible app, please get it out. If you don't have a Bible or a Bible app, we would love to give you one. Either to borrow or to keep forever. We love, 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 love giving away Bibles. Because there is no greater thing that you could possess in the physical realm than a Bible. Because it is a love letter uh, Ecclesiastes. If you don't know where Ecclesiastes is in your Bible, you can probably look for the part where the pages are still kind of stuck. That's usually... I mean, I'll be honest with you, like Ecclesiastes is one of those books you're like, uh, yeah, well, it's in the Bible. It's like Job. It's, like, it's in the Bible, but it doesn't really need to be because <laughs> it's really funky. I can tell you this, that like books like Job and Ecclesiastes, if you don't understand the finished work of the cross, they will just confuse the bejeebers out of you. You've got to filter them through the finished work of the cross. You also have to filter through the fact that like Job had no covenant at all. So all the dumb things that Job was saying about God and about how the kingdom worked, he had no covenant at all. He had no grid. And so you have to kind of take that stuff with a grain of salt. Same thing with Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes is Solomon. And Solomon... Oh, God bless him. This is one of the most amazing things. Like Solomon, the Bible records that he was the wisest man prior to Jesus Christ. He was the wisest man who ever lived, at least the wisest king who ever lived and wrote the book of wisdom. Proverbs is called the book of wisdom. But yet, and he's also the one that um, that penned Song of Solomon. And Song of Solomon is literally a love letter. It's intense, too. It's passionate. It's a passionate love letter between a husband and a wife, which obviously makes sense now in the New Testament because Jesus is the groom and we are the bride. And that's his heart for us. God, Jesus is passionate about his bride, which is why, I'm, I'm like I told you guys, I'm in this fight because I'm passionate about the bride. Jesus is passionate about the bride. And the Song of Solomons is written by him, uh, by, by Solomon, and it's this amazing, passionate, fervent love story. And this is also the guy that talks about in Proverbs that you should never be in adultery, that a, that a person with multiple gals in his life is setting himself up for just destruction. And, and all the men that are here that have been married, um, you probably know like one gal in your life is enough. And more than enough. It's more than enough. Like, God knows how to, like, make it more. And I'm not, I'm kind of being funny, but kind of not being funny. Like, I praise God for Kay. Amen. And he's, and Solomon is so wise and so intelligent. 
and operates in the wisdom of God that he ends up with a thousand wives and concubines. Can someone say, stupid? You can be wise and stupid at the same time. Um, If you don't believe me, the devil is really good at being the devil and is really ignorant. He's really good at being the devil because he manipulates Christians all the time. He's manipulated our entire society to shut down the church. But he's so ignorant that he literally went to war against God. That's a special kind of stupid. That's special stupid. So you can be both. Solomon, very, very wise, and Solomon, super stupid. Okay, so this is part of some of the stupid times of Solomon's life in Ecclesiastes. So when you read through Ecclesiastes, you've got to understand that he's in a stupid time of his life. And so one word could be really wise, and one word could be really stupid. I'm going to give you one of the wise ones. <laughs> Ecclesiastes chapter 10, verse 2, it says, A wise man's heart is at his right hand. But a fool's heart is at his left. And I used to always, up until what the Lord said to me, I used to always look at the fact that I was the wise man and I had my heart in my right hand when I was being a smart wise man. And then when I was being stupid, I had my heart in my left hand. For those of you who don't understand, the right hand speaks of power and honor. This is, it's the royal hand. I'm doing it for you. I do know my left from my right. The, The right hand is the hand of honor. It's the hand of power. It's the royal hand. The left hand is the hand of dishonor. It's the hand... Um... I don't know if I want to say it or not. Okay, so let me help you. Um, Toilet paper's only existed for like 75 years, maybe. That was the left hand. And I know you're like, oh, come on, man. No, for real. They wiped a thousand years ago. They just used the left hand. Now, I want you to like, I don't want you to think about it, but I want you to think about it. That's why there's certain things that are really important that carry really powerful understandings and revelations for us if we get it. So you didn't walk up to someone, and even today, we don't even realize it, but even today you still don't do that. You don't walk up and shake someone's left hand. You don't do it. You don't know why. Now you do. In the military, you do not salute with the, you salute with the right hand. If you, so if you're in the military, Craig is a vet. If you're in the military and you salute with the other hand, they'll kill you. They'll shoot you. It's just not okay. And here, that's the reason. So I used to always look at this verse like, so when I'm, when I'm handling my heart with my right hand, I'm a wise man when I'm not. And the Lord spoke to me and He said, 
I'm the wise man. And I have your heart in my right hand. The heart is one of the most important concepts in the entire Bible. It is from cover to cover, talking about the heart of man. And it's also complicated. You have to look at the context to understand heart. Because sometimes it's talking about soul, sometimes it's talking about emotions, sometimes it's talking about mind, sometimes it's talking about spirit, sometimes it's talking about unborn again spirit, sometimes it's talking about born again spirit, sometimes it's talking about God. And so context for all of these things are super important. And here's something that most Christians don't understand. When you were born again, you got a new one. Because the old one just wasn't cutting it. God gave you a new one. This is literally one of the most important parts of the new covenant. It comes with, like built into the package, is a new heart. I can't go down this trail. I'm just going to like take two steps down the trail and then come back and get back on the road. But let me say this. This is why you have to be very careful with psychology, psychotherapy, therapists, because they want to go down into the past. They want to resurrect an old heart and they want to muck around in there and then convince you that you still have this old heart and the whole time the Spirit of God is talking to you about your new heart, but your therapist is telling you about your old heart and they want you to live it and that when you're five years old and the terrible things happen to you and make you cry and, and they think that that's healthy. I'll say this, if you're not born again, that might be healthy. If you're born again, that's really stupid. Yes. Don't do that. Don't go back into the old man. Ephesians, I know I said I was just going to take a step, but I'm going to have to verify this with Bible. Ephesians 4.22, Ephesians 4, 23, and 24. So in 22, it says, put off the old man. Which is jacked up. And I know I'm, that's just Steve saying it. <laughs> Put off the old man concerning the former conversation. And the King James is talking about lifestyle and thinking. That your old man has a way that it used to live and a way that it used to think. You need to put that off. And this is literally talking about like a garment that you put off. Like you literally take off a garment and you put it away. And don't put it back on. And we do this all the time. We just put this thing back on, thinking that that's what you're supposed to do. Well, this is how I've always done it. This is how I've always thought. This is how I've always reacted in these situations. When these people say this to me, this is how I always respond. Hey, just so you know, most of the problems in your life is because you're always doing what you've always done. Don't do that. Put off the old conversation, the old lifestyle, the old way of living, the old way of thinking. And here's the reason, because it's corrupted. Corrupted means that it was once good, but then it was made bad. 
Okay, you follow me? Corrupt means that something was okay, something was good, something was healthy, something was pure, and it got bad. When you were a baby, you were whole and healthy and pure. You were sinless for the most part. You were really totally selfish. Made your mom get up in the middle of the night, no matter what. Scream in the middle of a meeting. Didn't give a rip about anybody's feelings. But you were mostly sinless. And then the world taught you how to do it really good. Taught you how to think stupid. Taught you how to act stupid. Taught you how to manipulate people. How to lie, cheat, and steal. All that kind of stuff. And then Jesus came along and said, hey, you want to not be that? And you said, I would love to not be that. And then he birthed you anew from heaven and made you somebody different. And the problem is that the average Christian says, okay, I'm born from above. I'm, I'm born from heaven. I have the DNA of my father. He completely changed my life. So now, everything stays the same except I go to church on Sunday. That's not... <laughs> God didn't birth you so you go to church on Sunday. You're a whole different species of being. You're something that never existed ever before. Jesus didn't come to make us moral. In fact, most of the time, morality is going to be better achieved in the world system through the law. Let me say it this way. In all those restaurants I used to run, I had a lot of um, managers that came from other parts of the world. We had a, we had a lot of, of, of green card and, and those kind of folks, and we would get a lot of managers from other parts of the world. So I had a bunch of managers, and they were some of my best managers, I'll be really honest with you, that were Muslims. And I can tell you that the average Muslim that worked for me, even hourly associate Muslims that worked for me in my restaurants are ten times holier than most of the people in this room. Because the law of Islam, Sharia law, makes you holy. It's human holiness. It's behavior modification. God didn't come to modify your behavior. God came to take your heart and crucify it and then give you a new heart. And we're hanging out at the cross all the time trying to pull the heart off and like, give me that back. (laughs) And God says, no, I am not going to give you that back because that thing messed up your life and hurt you and did terrible things to you. And this one won't. So you have a new heart that came with your response to knowing the gospel and salvation. So you don't have this old, bruised, jacked up, Falling apart heart. You get a new one. Ezekiel um, chapter 36, 26. Is, this, is, this is part of the promise. Ezekiel 36, 26. It's another part that your scriptures are probably still stuck together. Probably weren't reading in Ezekiel on the way to church today. Ezekiel 36, 26. And this is talking about the new covenant. It says it also in Jeremiah chapter 31 and Jeremiah chapter 33 that this is part of the new covenant that God is going to uh, give us. Verse 26, a new heart also will I give you. This is prophetically talking about the day that you and I live in. In the Old Testament, they couldn't get a new heart. That's why David could be a really awesome guy and get into adultery and murder. Because he couldn't get a new heart. He just tried to modify your behaviors. Christianity is not about behavior modification. It's about heart transformation. Yes. 
God doesn't want you to modify your behaviors. God wants you to believe that he gave you a new heart, and by default, all of your behaviors will modify. Why? Because your heart came from God. So it's now part of your nature to be God-like. And if that messes with you, like, well, he said we're supposed to be God-like. Okay, you know what the word godly is? God-like. You're supposed to be like God. That's not blasphemous. That's not unholy. God actually wants you to be like Him. (laughs) Okay, never mind. So the, the problem that we have, the problem is, is that we see all the temporal things and we project eternity onto temporal things. God is always projecting temporal things as temporal. The things that are going on in your life that, you're, that are really messing with you, that are really jacking with your heart, it's because you've allowed temporal things to have eternal impact. You should allow only eternal things to have eternal impact. I lose y'all. Um, if you have symptoms in your body today, they're temporal. If you're struggling with some kind of financial problem right now, it's temporal. If, there, if you have some kind of relational problem, you know, where somebody's mad at you or you're mad at somebody, it's temporal. It might feel like, oh my God, this is the only thing going on in the world right now. It's not in fact, if you came up to me, I wouldn't even really care a whole lot. <laughs> I know you're laughing. But it, it's important to you. You know why? Because you have focused all of your energy on this one thing, and it has literally taken over your whole world. And God is standing outside of your little minuscule world, and he's saying, hey, i got a whole universe here. <laughs> you could probably look at a few of these things. And you're like, but no, God, look at this thing. And God's like, yeah, that's super terrible. Anyway, I dealt with that at the cross. John. Thank you. John chapter 14. John chapter 14, these are two of my, and you're going to hear this a lot. I say that a lot of verses are my favorite verses, but as of right now, these are some of my most favorite verses ever. John 14, 1, Jesus said, and I, I can't put this into context because I've wasted all my time with the announcements. <laughs> but in context, this is, this is literally hours before Jesus dies. Hours. He's about to lead these guys in a, in, in a way, he's about to lead them forever. John 14, 15, and 16, and then the prayer that Jesus prays in 17 are some of the most powerful, by far powerful verses in the entire Bible. These are like Jesus's, like he took everything that was anything and important, and he like jammed them into this last sermon, and then died. So he, this is the first words of the first part of everything I just said. Jesus knows he's leaving. This is it. He's about to give them the words. 
The church will live or die based upon these 12 fellows. And we already know it's 11. He's losing them already. Everything for the rest of eternity is going to rest on whether these 11 pull through or not. Don't you know the weightiness that was on these words? The importance. So I'm laying this because I want this to hit you. John 14, 1, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. Let not. The understood subject is you. If your heart is troubled, it's you. And I'm sorry that we live in a society that you cannot talk to people about personal responsibility. But it doesn't work that way in the kingdom. You don't get to blame what your daddy did to you when you were five. You don't get to blame what your spouse does to you or did to you. You don't get to blame what society is doing to you. You don't get to blame your color. You don't get to blame your economics. You don't get to blame whether you're fat or thin. You don't get to blame McDonald's for the hot coffee that burnt you. You burnt you. You let not your heart be troubled. You. Now listen, I just laid the context for this. Jesus is going to die. These guys, their entire life was wrapped up in Him. And it was wrapped up in the fact that He was the Messiah. He was going to rescue the entire world. He was going to be the King that was going to take Israel. And they were going to rule and reign forever and ever and ever and ever. And this is the guy. And he's really awesome. And he's done all these miracles. And there's no way he can die. (laughs) So they thought... And he knows he's going to die. And he told them, I've counted at least 17 places where he told them, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. He even told them, I think it's on five different occasions, he's telling them how. They're going to arrest me, they're going to beat me, they're going to crucify me. Like, I know that as a pastor, sometimes the people you minister to are a little bit dense and you just keep working with them. But like, this is extra dense. 17 times he told him he was going to die. And five times he literally told him how. And a couple of times he told him when. <laughs> and he's, he's telling them again now, like this is about to happen. It is hours away. And he's saying, let not your heart be troubled. Let me, let me say this. Let me just have some context. What these guys were fixing to go through, probably more than what's going on in your life. Pandemic at all. They were fixing to lose the Messiah. And he says, let not your heart be troubled. Now, if he can tell them in this situation, unborn again guys, to control the context of their heart, don't you know that you and I can? With a new heart, And we have self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. They did not have self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. They had self-control as a fruit of humanity. We have self-control as a fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 6. 
They had an old heart. We have a new heart. If he said that in the most terrible time of all of human existence, the most terrible thing that ever happened, Jesus Christ going to the cross, if he said that they don't have to allow their heart to be troubled in that situation, I can double-dog dare you that whatever's going on in our life right now today does not have to trouble our hearts. Why? He answers that in the next part of this verse. You believe on the Father, believe on me. The way that you keep your heart from being troubled. The word troubled means agitated. It means shooken. Shaken? Shooken? Whatever that word is. And you know what I'm talking about, where this is the, the quiver of your heart. Everybody knows exactly. There's this feeling that you get when you know things are unsettled, and you're just like, That's what he's talking Is that, tr- I'm, man, I'm feeling this right now. People are, somebody or many people are receiving this right now. This is, God is blowing on this. And I think there probably could be people in this building right now. That there's this shaking of your heart, this tremble. Maybe it comes and goes. Maybe you've learned to live with it. It's not okay. Your heart was not made to tremble. You were made to roar. The righteous are bold as a lion. That's talking about the heart of a man. Proverbs says that the strong spirit of a man is what gives him courage. We are birthed of the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus' heart has never quivered. You believe in God, believe also in me. The first important aspect to getting rid of the quiver that is trying to get into your heart is to believe. It's become super cool in Christianity today, especially during the pandemic, to wear the t-shirt that's got faith over fear. And it's really cool. That's a cool t-shirt that you got faith over fear. But let me be honest with you, most of the people that are wearing a t-shirt, faith over fear, if you look at their life, the fruit in their life is fear. Not faith. What you're doing today is faith. You're here. They told you not to. He told you to. You did it. You didn't operate in fear. Operating in fear is, well, if you go outside and you don't have a mask and somebody sneezes ten miles away and the wind is just right. (laughs) And I'm not even being funny, because if you read the stuff the way they tell you how this thing works, it it is literally mystic. If you can believe in all the stuff they tell you about how this COVID stuff works, I can definitely sell you a male and female unicorn and you can make a ton of money on Pegasuses and uni- Pegasuses? Pegasi. It is, they're just trying to manipulate us with fear. Faith is believing what God says. Fear is believing what the devil says. And they both have fruit. They both have fruit. Listen, 
You could be a hundred miles away from somebody infected with COVID. And if you get into enough fear associated with COVID, you will birth it in your life. 66% of everybody in the last two weeks that has been diagnosed COVID positive in New York were in isolation. 66%. How'd it get there? By this and this believing what they're saying on that. They birthed it into them. You know, the opposite works too. You can say, by the stripes of Jesus Christ, I am healed. Psalms 91 says, no plague will come nigh my dwelling. Yea, though it walks in shadows, I'll fear no evil. For you're with me. How can Jesus be with you and a COVID be with you? Can someone please explain that? How can both of those live in you at the same time? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God. So this is the first thing he said about the quivering of a heart. Believe. And specifically what? Him. Well, what is him? Is Jesus health? He's the great physician. He's Jehovah Rapha. The Lord that heals thee. He's the guy that cleansed the leper, raised the dead, cast out the... I mean, he did the stuff of all the stuff. That's who you believe in. Hebrews 13.8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, if Jesus healed folks everywhere he went, all the time, in the Gospels, and he's still the same, that means everywhere he goes... Everybody has access to the same Jesus that did the same stuff in that time then as he does now. He doesn't, he didn't want to heal people more 2,000 years ago than he does now. And when he walks in me, I just had my sister call me just a couple of days ago, somebody I prayed for a few months ago, just out doing the thing. He had three months to live because he had terminal cancer. And that's not okay. So I prayed over him, talked him into receiving the prayer, and he did. God bless him. And went on in faith. Hadn't seen or heard from the guy in months. And Stacy called and said, hey, did you pray for a guy named John? I'm like, are you for real? Did I pray for a guy named John? (laughs) Twice a day. (laughs) She's like, oh, yeah. And she gave me all the details. I said, yeah, I remember him. He was in the alley, (laughs) praying for a guy in an alley. Um. And I didn't think he was receiving. He said, I have not talked to Jesus in 50 years. I said, that's okay. I talk to him every day. <laughs> Prayed for him. So she called me and said that she ran into the guy's daughter to told him a, and asked him if she went to that, you know, just so you know, you're at that church right now. <laughs> We're at that church. Do you go to that church? <laughs> like, yeah, that's the church. And you always kind of want to like, why are you asking? <laughs> Because they're awesome. Oh, okay. <laughs> because you're evil. Okay. It depends on who's asking. So she's like, do you go to that church? And she's like, yeah. And your pastor, I think, is the one that prays. So anyway, long story short, he goes to the doctor and he has no cancer of any kind. They did the test, freaked him out. And 
listen, here's the, here's the, here's what I'm saying. Like I didn't, I didn't go into that. I didn't wake up that day and say, Lord, I'm going to have this amazing cancer miracle. No, we just carry Jesus. Just carry Jesus. And when folks need Jesus, Jesus heals. And Jesus stops quivering hearts. And Jesus cleanses the leprous. And Jesus invites the adulteress to come in and to be comforted and to be rescued from sin and to have a glorious life. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in the Father. Believe in me. Why would he draw that division? Because we all tend to agree on the Father's heart and the Father's nature there in heaven way over there. And what Jesus said is, yes, that, but in me, in you. Our Father art in heaven, but our Savior who is in my heart. Believe in Him. And then in verse 27, Jesus says the same thing, and He highlights the second most important part that you and I need to understand. Peace I leave with you, My peace. This isn't peace like, peace dude, and then roll a fatty. It's His peace. He had to draw a difference, because like the world has a bunch of peace. You know, the world's peace is like, nobody's yelling at you. It's not peace. It just means they're taking a breath. The world's peace is lack of conflict. That's not God's peace. God's peace is an actual force. That's why he had to say, hey, I'm going to leave you peace. And don't you know the disciples are like, oh, okay, we're going to have peace. Woo-hoo. But peace comes and goes, and it comes and goes, and it comes and goes, because most people's peace is a derivative of their circumstances, or the lack thereof. And he had to specifically say, not that peace. Let me tell you what kind of peace. My peace. That's what I'm leaving with you. You know these disciples knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. I'm going to define his peace. I want you to just listen. I know I told you to get your Bibles out, but I want you to listen with your heart. That heart that's new, that heart that could be trembling, this is going to untremble your heart. Mark chapter 4, after Jesus talked about these exact things, verse 35 it says, That same day, when, they were, when the evening was come, He said unto them, Let's go to the other side. He's calling the church to the other side. He's calling you to the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, this is important, intimacy. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was, in the ship. And there was also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm. Everybody in this room knows what a great storm is. 
Some of you may be being buffeted by wind and waves even today. And it's buffeting your heart. And it's making a quiver and a shaking in your heart. And there arose a great storm. In the Greek, megas. Megas storm. Megas. A great storm of wind and the waves beat onto the ship. The parallel here is your heart. The waves and the winds beat their heart and beat their heart and beat their heart. So that their hearts were now full. Now full of what? Storm. Their hearts were full of storm. And he was in the hinder part of the ship asleep. He was with them. And they were full of storm. How's that possible? If you're asking me that question, how could they literally have Jesus in the boat and also have the storm in the boat? I'm going to ask you the same question. How can you have Jesus in your heart and the storm in your heart at the same time? And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. You know, your storm is not God's storm. And they awoke him and said, Master, don't you care how many people have prayed this prayer? God, don't you care what I'm going through? God, don't you know? He's in the boat. He knows. He actually knows more than you. He sees better than you. He knows more than you. He's wiser than you. He's fully aware of what you're going through. He's so aware of what you're going through that he's more aware than you are. Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and said unto the sea. In the Greek, he said, peace. Peace. So when he said to the disciples, my peace I leave you, you know they remembered this. That's the same peace that he said to the wind and to the waves, and they obeyed. That's the peace he gives you today. That's the peace that's in you. Isaiah 26.3 says, He will keep you in perfect peace when you keep your mind stayed on him. If you're aware of the storm, you just have the wrong focus. Because Jesus is in the boat. Here's what I'm, I'm going to end with this. Do what he does. This will, this will be great advice for the rest of your life. Whatever you see God doing, you do that. If God's sleeping in the storm on a pillow, then you need to call the guy with the, my, the mustache, the my pillow fella, and you need to call him up and order you a pillow, and you need to sleep on the my pillow pillow in the storm. Because that's what Jesus is doing. He knows that his peace is defeating all the storms, all the wind, all the waves. In the Matthew 8 version of this story, before he rebuked the storm, he rebuked the disciples. I use the calmer version of this story. 
But God might rebuke you for allowing the wind and the waves to get into your boat. Because they're not supposed to be in your boat. He said, go to the other side. That means you can do what He said. We need to go to the other side of this pandemic. We need to go to the other side of all this fear. We need to go to the other side. Jesus literally was saying that the stopping of the trembling of your heart is going to come from faith and from you dealing with fear the way He dealt with fear, which was by His perfect peace that was stronger than a storm. And the Prince of Peace now abides in your heart. The Prince of Peace abides, lives, makes His abode in your heart. Father, I declare peace over this people. I rebuke every trembling heart in Jesus' name. I say peace. Be still. Your Father holds your heart in His right hand. And no man can pluck you from His hand. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for sharing a few minutes with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His precious, life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about the ministry of Pastor Steve Castle and Beloved Church, please visit us online at BelovedChurchIllinois.com or call us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are part of the Beloved Family of God and Beloved Church is a place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. Beloved, you who are greatly loved by the Father, I pray, I desire above all things that you prosper and you experience divine health to the degree that you allow that to saturate and prosper your soul. I pray that you receive these words and they change every aspect of your life. I love you. I'll see you again soon. Thank you.